All right. Um, would you just join me for a moment, and uh, let's let's uh, continue in that atmosphere, and maybe just pray these words silently. Uh, Jesus, I come to you, and may I find rest. Lord, that is your invitation, that all would come to you, that they may find rest. We pray that we would find that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, for we are walking it with you and with one another. Thank you for this time. Please bless us. Bless this reading of your word, that we would uh, be captivated by the power that we see in these pages and trust that the one who spoke and walked so long ago is still speaking and still walking alongside of us. Please bless us in these moments as we come to you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you turn to Acts chapter 16, please? We've been uh, having a few selections in the book of Acts because we are talking about risen, life in the living Christ. Jesus is raised. Jesus is alive. So what? Because we are still alive and I'm contending what the New Testament contends. That we live in and through and with Jesus. And it matters not just on Easter, but every day of our lives. Tonight we're talking about freedom because of the resurrection. We are free from, say it with me, I'm going to say it and then we'll say it together. We are free from evil, sin, and death. Let's say evil, sin, and death. Those are nasty words, aren't they? But the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that sin is no longer our Lord. Jesus is the reigning Lord. Evil is no longer our Lord. Jesus is Lord. And even death, the resurrection proves, is not Lord. Jesus is Lord and He has defeated sin and evil and one day even death. But now we know that if we die in Him we still will live with Him eternally. So, we're talking about freedom. The resurrection has set us free from sin and evil and death. And we're going to see this freedom over these three nasty words, sin and evil and death, in this encounter with Paul and his buddy Silas and their little buddy Timothy and even Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and you see in this chapter 16, in the place we're picking up this evening, he begins to say things like, we were doing this, we were doing that. So we're going to see these guys, Luke included, living out in the reality that Jesus, the reigning Lord, has freed them from evil sin and death. So I've tried to, this series, stress the point that we are living with Jesus because he's alive, we're alive, and we've got work to do. And so kind of our statements that we've been popping up each week is this. Life in the living Christ isn't just something to be believed, it's something to be lived. Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke were living and it affected their everyday reality because Jesus was alive. Things were no longer the same. And I want to stress each week that your life, your grocery store going, job having, tasks and responsibilities, life can be lived in the power and freedom of Jesus. Christianity is not just something you say, oh yes, I believe Jesus is raised. It's to be lived in the reality that because Jesus is raised, I don't have to be afraid. 
because Jesus is raised, I can pray and ask God's power to move in this situation, to move in my daily life. This is the contention of the New Testament because Jesus is alive. So then, that next statement we keep going back to is, your life is part of a new creation. You see that banner? The old is gone, the new has come, right? It has come and it is to come. The new creation has come now today and will come fully. The resurrection of Jesus means that life with him is not just something to be believed, but something to be lived. So to get us back, since we didn't meet together in this space last week, we were out in the park playing some mean soccer. Robert Vaughn was playing mean soccer. We had a great time out there. But I just want to kind of stay with that point for just another minute and tell you a sad, sad, sad story. My grandfather, not the one who's here this evening, everybody say, hey, Grandpa Wood, but the, uh, my other grandfather found an old, busted-up 66 Ford Mustang in a barn that was just junked out, nasty, cobwebs inside, just disgusting, in a barn, and he said, I'd like that, please. Gave the guy, like, I mean, a few hundred bucks, and then set to making this thing beautiful, pristine, beautiful. Painted it nice candy apple red, nice black hard top uh, on top of it. Like restored the interior, all original, beautiful. Like I remember how it smells. And I say I remember because it's a sad story because that thing was sold when I was 15 years old. Not weeks after I got my dadgum driver's learning permit. Because my parents, who had this vehicle at that time, knew better. But they didn't know enough because they ended up getting me an 88 Jeep Wrangler with no air conditioning and no locks on the doors because you can just take them off. But they were trying to spare me from going crazy and driving this Ford Mustang. Now, what if, just imagine with me, he's not here, but what if Sid Kiesler, who has a 66 red Ford Mustang convertible, in his heart of hearts, the Lord moves him to be a cheerful giver and gives this to me. Now, considering my past and the heartbreak of losing a Mustang before, do you think I'm going to keep it in my junked out like garage, rat's nest garage in my house and never drive it? Of course not. Of course not. I'm not going to get a 66 Mustang and just sit it in the garage. I'm going to go out and do this. And so each week when we're talking about freedom, it's not enough to just say, oh, you've been free. But what I want you to know is that you are free. And what I want you to do is to live freely in Christ. I don't want you to just park this amazing life that God has given us in the garage. I want us to be able to walk out together and not just live freely, but what? announce, this is our next slide, or maybe it's at the end, yeah, announce freedom to others. This is why we've been looking at Acts. They didn't just give people a bunch of doctrine to believe, but they lived in a way that that doctrine made a difference. Are you with me? We're not about keeping the cars parked in the garage at this church. We're not about talking about caring for orphans and homeless folks. We want to actually get out, feet on the street, and care for orphans and f homeless folks. And guess what? Even all the other kinds of people you encounter in your real life, work, family, networks, neighbors. It's not enough to value these things. It's a, 
It's getting out in the car and driving it. And Paul and Silas and these folks got it, and it changed everything. So the resurrection has freed us from evil, sin, and death, and let's see this freedom lived out in real life here in this text, Acts chapter 16. We're going to roll through this really powerful and dramatic passage about someone. We see a young girl freed from evil, and then we see sin creeping up, and then we see the fear of death as Paul and Silas wind up in jail, and we see a very uh, another unlikely person set free at the end of our passage this evening. You with me? Acts chapter 16, let's get on with it. Once, when we... We're going to the place of prayer. This is Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. So they meet her, and it says in verse 17, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. At that moment, she was freed. We encounter first this slave girl who is doubly enslaved. Okay? What do you think I mean by doubly enslaved, okay? She was under two different masters. You with me? The first master is a couple of dudes that were profiteering. Basically, can I use this word? It's the legitimate use of the word. They were pimping her out. She had come by this spirit, which is the second bit of slavery. She was enslaved by some spirit that Luke tells us in the original language was, watch this. A python spirit. You're like, what on earth is this? Well, they are now in what's known today as Greece. Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they make their way to Greece. They're into European soil. They had just converted a, um, a wealthy businesswoman named Lydia this is right there in your Bibles in Acts chapter 16. So we've got this wealthy businesswoman who was at a place of prayer seeking God. We've got her as the first convert. And then we see this python spirit slave girl on the other end of the spectrum encounter them. And she's got this python spirit because it was believed that Apollo, that Greek god had in his temple courts a python-type goddess who would inhabit women and give them the gifts of like our modern-day tarot card, fortune-telling, oracle-type people, okay? Don't raise your hands, because as a pastor, I don't think I can like wholeheartedly endorse this film, but in that movie 300 that every guy in this room has seen, don't just admit it, there is this scene in which this young girl was like this oracle in this fantastic way and she would be consulted on day-to-day -day things like who should I marry or what business should I do. And also she would be consulted on like, hey, should I go to war against 300 Spartans? 
This is what happened in that movie. This is what's going on here. She was enslaved by two men who were getting a bunch of money because they were calling the Miss Cleo 1-800-TAROT-CARD hotline to get some fortune being told. That's what's happening. Now, is this publicity that she's giving him welcome? What is this girl with the python spirit telling fortunes saying? She's saying, hey, look, these men are servants of the Most High God. Now that term would have been used for Jews to talk about our God or to Greeks, Zeus. She's saying something, is God the Most High God? Are they servants of Him? Yes, this is true, isn't it? Then she says, what else? Who are telling you the way to be saved? Is this true? Yes. Now, it could have meant whatever you wanted it to mean if you're a Greek or, you know, whoever. But she's shouting this. What does it say? Look at it. Days she's falling around and doing this. So is all publicity, as they say, good publicity? Probably not. When you are knowingly inhabited by a quote-unquote spirit of a python. Now... What we know, and what I want to contend to you, is this isn't fairy tale stuff, where you see then or now strange spiritual forces. You see this a lot in Latin America. There are guys that make a bunch of money doing some bizarro surgeries on people, and people flock to them because this person is possessed or afflicted or inhabited or, as they would even say, blessed with a spirit that gives them these powers. What I say to you is, what's really going on behind the guise of nice and powerful and good stuff are these demonic spirits who are leading people and persuading people away from Jesus, who is healer and life and truth. This is the way these forces operate then and now. And so when she's following Paul around, what's happening is these demons we see a lot in the Gospels and they see here, they confess good and true things about Jesus. Does anybody remember the scene where Jesus encountered a demoniac with all the pigs? And he says, I know who you are. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. That was very true. They say these things, but what happens is when it's coming out of this mouth and it's, and it's associating Paul with this oracle borderline lunatic, it's doing more harm than good. So this is going on for many days, many days. She's enslaved by these men. She's enslaved or demonized by these spirits. And so Paul has had enough. And don't think that Paul, as my Bible says, got so annoyed. Think of it as what it probably really means. He was grieved and just at his wit's end because he says this girl is totally captive and she needs to be free. She's presenting, preventing the gospel from going freely, and she is not free. And so what does he do? Look with me. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Imagine, she's going along, she's making a great deal of money, it says, and all of a sudden, I bet it's like she woke up from a dream like she had been sleepwalking, and she probably looked around at these two guys on either side of her and said, where am I and how did I get here? 
At that moment, we don't know what happens to this slave girl, but I'm confident that at that moment, she once was blind, but now she sees. And I bet Paul and Silas stuck around just long enough to tell her that there is a power beyond the power that had been inflicting its will over you, and his name is Jesus, and he wants your good and your life and truth, not your oppression and darkness. We have this same power that set her free. The same power is for us. And you think about all of those who may not be oppressed by a python spirit, but how many of us know people oppressed and enslaved by addiction? How many of us know people who are oppressed and enslaved by darkness in their mind? Mental illness that's been capitalized on by the evil and mysterious forces in this world. How many of us know people who are enslaved with chronic pain and illness? How many of us just see parts of our city, parts of our world, parts of continents in Africa, and the human sex trafficking in South Asia, and you say, there is some deep, dark oppression and the, the task of not just Paul and Silas, but us today, is where we see enslavement and oppression is to speak Jesus' name into it and to let the light shine. And what happens is we see chains broken, but we also see opposition coming right back. Because when we are the kingdom of light pushing out the darkness, the darkness doesn't go lightly. That's why I've seen so many people liberated powerfully from the chains of addiction. They make one choice that leads to the other choice. It becomes a chemical dependency and it becomes a deep-seated. It's like the forces of darkness just capitalize and run rampant in their lives until everything is destroyed. And I've seen the chains of addiction broken. But I've also seen people who've been freed go right back underneath the chains. We are people to continually speak light and love and hope to those who are afflicted in these ways. St. John of the Cross, an old Spanish mystic who wrote The Dark Night of the Soul, said that the task of us Christians is, listen, to put love where love is not. To put love where love is not. I ought to just stop there because that is our job, that is our task, not just for the slave girls or the people enslaved in our lives, but when we move from these doors, when we go and play soccer and feed people, is to try to find people, connect people, and put love where love is not. And this is what they do. To live freely in Christ and announce that freedom to others. Who is enslaved? Who needs love? And would we be strong enough and in him to put love where love is not. They get pushed back. Violently do they get pushed back. What happens is this. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, as soon as that spirit left, so did all that bank flow. They seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates. And this is what they say. Watch this, okay? They've just liberated a girl from evil because in the resurrection we're liberated from evil. But there's another force that's going to creep up and that is sin. And in particular, the sin here is greed and prejudice. 
They're mad because their, their cash cow is gone. But what they're not going to say is, they took our livelihood, right? What they are going to say is, look, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for who? Us, Romans, to accept or practice. Now, it is not illegal to be Jewish. It is not illegal to proselytize in a Roman state. But what they're doing as these evil forces, as one gets kicked up, it stirs the hornet's nest and it gets everybody else in this crowd to get pissed about the other. The spirit of prejudice and racism was alive and well then and it's alive and well now. And yes, I know I said that word, but I want us to be that way about this kind of stuff. Because this spirit is still alive and well on Facebook. This spirit is still alive and well in our nation. We want the us versus them. We want to not put love where love is not, but we want to uh, participate in the mob mentality of us versus them. And the reality is in the kingdom of God, there is no them, there's only us. And even if they're not in the kingdom, we should see them as ones who are created in the image of God and valued. They kick the hornet's nest. Their, the greed has escalated. The prejudice has escalated. And the reality is, is we've been free from this. But just like the, the addicts, just like those who are oppressed, we can still slide right back into those chains. And so the reality is, when we see these things creep up, we've got to... Shine the light of Christ there again. You've been freed from sin, but the problem is, is that sin remains, right? We know this. We're going to talk about this next week. I'm not going to talk about it tonight. Next week, we're going to do a, a wrap-up about 20 minutes of now what? And it's going to be super practical, tying this whole, okay, well, how do I live in Christ? Not just looking at Acts, but brass tacks, sin remains... How do I live in the reality and freedom of Christ? Well, to put it bluntly and come back next week, sin remains, but sin must not reign. The reality is, is that every one of your sins has been paid for on the cross. This is what Paul says in Colossians 2. And you've been freed from darkness, transferred from darkness into the kingdom of light. And you are free and you no longer have to submit to evil or sin. You can submit only to Jesus who is Lord, to live freely in Christ and announce this freedom to others. They kick the hornet's nest. They're throwing them under the bus. These are Jews, and they're doing things that are not good for us Romans. It's not true, but it worked, because look at verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack. They mobbed up. They got their, their, uh, their pitchforks, and they were against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and he fastened their feet in the stocks. We've been freed from evil. We've been freed from sin. Now these men are facing death. So you must be thinking, what are we going to do now? You got it, Mark. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. They don't blame men. They bless God. 
They're not afraid of death. And these other prisoners who are going to be rotting in there or executed are hearing these men sing hymns blessing God. They're in the deepest, darkest, dampest cell. Their feet are put in stocks, which would have been separated just enough to where they're cramping up or they can't move. Their backs are bloodied and shredded, and they're against stone walls, and they're singing songs. And you say, how on earth could they do this when they don't know how long they'll be there or if they'll make it out of it? And I imagine them singing something like we sing in this church in that song, In Christ Alone. There's no guilt in life. There's no fear in death because this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. The reality is this. What controls your perspective? The circumstances you can see or the reality that Jesus is alive and well and with you? Every little thing in our life we can look at face value, and say, this is it. That's it. I'm in jail. This is my life now. Or you can sing, you can pray, and say, whether or not I'm here forever, I know that you can, and I know that you will meet me, you will give me what I need, and you will give it to me exactly when I need it, and I have no fear because what can they do to me? Jesus says, do not fear the one who can kill the body. He can't take your soul. Nothing will separate you from the love that God has for you in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 says, Paul, after being beaten this time and two more times, after facing shipwreck and famine and death, he says, I am convinced that neither height nor depth, nor angels nor demons, nor, nor things seen or unseen, neither heaven nor earth, nothing, nothing, no thing can separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. And he starts the chapter by saying, by the way, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You've been set free. Whatever Satan wants to tell you, whatever that voice that's whispering in your head wants to tell you, lies. Here is truth. No condemnation. Oh, I sinned. Uh, we just sang, come ye sinners. Here's the truth. No condemnation. Oh, but I sinned. How many sins were nailed to the cross? Every single one of them. What he's asking you to do is repent. What happens when you sin is you veered off course. He's saying, no, 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 come back here because the shepherd cares for his sheep and he wants you back on the right track. They don't fear death. They don't fear prison. They don't fear this because why? Jesus was their reality. I want him to be our reality too. Think about the prisons in your life. What holds you captive? What are the chains that feel nice and cold and good against your skin? Because you think that it's better to go back to this prison than to live freely and abundantly with Jesus because that's too wild and crazy and my parents will think I'm nuts. What are the prisons in your life? What are those things that are just absolutely dominating your perspective? What are the things that are just absolutely you think are certain in your life? What is that relationship? What is that physical issue? What is that, that fear of the future, that fear of the past? What is it? And could we imagine, could you imagine Christ coming, entering in and breaking the chains? He may not change the circumstance immediately, but I think the reason we get so hung up on circumstances is because we're not facing them with Jesus. We can even face death 
confidently because we go with Jesus. I'm going to stop. We have a whole like big rock and roll summer blockbuster earthquake to finish this text, but I'm just going to save that for another time. Because what I want to tell you is this. My hope is that you would feel in your life free. What I hope is that Jesus exercises the demon of shame in your life. What I hope is that Jesus exercises the fear of death and destruction and loss and pain in your life. And I'll leave you with this story. Brennan Manning tells a story of a man he met on hospice care. And he was afraid of death. He was afraid of the prison that he felt was coming for him. He didn't know much about religion. He didn't know much about his Bible. He didn't know much about Jesus. And he certainly didn't know much about prayer. So Brennan Manning took to visiting him at the request of a family member. And he goes, he sits down at his bedside. And uh, he was a Franciscan priest at this time. So, you know, he was talking about prayer and life with Jesus. And so this man who was on his deathbed was looking at him and said, man, I never really got the rosary. I, I couldn't really recite the Our Father. I never went and prayed the Stations of the Cross. You know, I, I, I mean, prayer has just been, man, it's so tough. I, I don't know how to do it. And so Brendan Manning says, okay, well, here's what we'll try, okay? Well, just take, when I leave, we've got this chair right here by your bedside, okay? It's going to sound crazy, but what if I just set this chair right here, and when I left the door, you looked at this chair, and you start to talk to this chair as if Jesus were just sitting in this chair. And then when you're done laughing and rolling your eyes and saying, this is stupid, keep trying, okay? He says, and when the nurse walks in and thinks you're crazy, just keep trying, just, just uncomplicate it. Just try it. What else you got to lose, right? You're on hospice. So this goes on for some time, and Brennan would, would meet with him regularly. And, and one of the times, you know, maybe it was a few weeks, he just said, look, I mean, it's kind of crazy. The nurse thinks I'm totally nuts, but, uh, I mean, it's, it's been working, you know? It's been good. And so now months go by. He's made it. I mean, it's incredible. Like, they thought he was going to be weeks. It ends up being months, but the day finally comes, and he is dead. And so Brennan hadn't seen him in a while, but he gets a phone call from this family member, his daughter, who had asked him to go and see him in the first place. And so what he did was uh, he picks up the phone and the daughter says, Brennan, I just wanted to tell you um, that dad passed and I want to thank you so much for these last few months, you being present to him, you helping him. I don't know what you said or did, but it was really something that meant a tremendous uh, amount to him. So thank you for that. And so Brennan was, you know, offering condolences. He said, I'm so sorry. And uh, they went on the conversation. And before they hung up, this daughter looked at him and said, oh, and by the way, it's the strangest thing. It's the strangest thing. She said, when the nurse came in and they found daddy, he had moved a chair close to his bed, and they found him halfway off the bed and laying and resting in the chair. And that's how I want to go. Because why should I fear death? If the life I live is in Christ, it will persist because Christ is raised and He will persist. 
And before you lay down in that chair, talk to Jesus in the chair about all those things that are terrifying you. Talk to Jesus about those prisons, that sin that you just can't quit. Jesus set me free from. And would we be a church that would be just as comfortable laying in the lap of Jesus as we are marching out and putting love where love is not. May we be people who face this world confident that He is with us, He is in us, He will never leave us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time. We're so grateful for this beautiful day. I'm so grateful for these people who You've brought together in Your name, who you filled with Your Holy Spirit. We pray that that Holy Spirit would speak words of truth and comfort and peace. We pray that He would unite us and propel us to put love where love is not. We pray, Jesus, that we would daily find You, talk to You, find freedom in You, and find that that abundant life You called us to is for this life that we really live today. We ask all this in the name of our King, our Shepherd, our Savior. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your gift of the Holy Spirit who works in the lives of our mothers and our children. We thank you for the fruit of love. Scripture tells us to love one another as you have loved us. Help us to love our children with the unconditional love you have for us. We thank you, Lord, for the joys of parenthood, for the newborn baby, for first words, for bedtime prayers, for commitments made to serve you, for spiritual growth and maturity in our children. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Some of us don't know the joy of parenthood. Lord, our joy has been taken away by the unfulfilled desire for children by miscarriage, or by the loss of a child. Others suffer pain because their parents are now in heaven with you, and they are deeply missed today. Restore joy where there is sorrow and loss. We long for the peace that transcends understanding. When situations in our children's lives are uncertain, grant us your peace to guard our hearts and minds. Instill peace in the hearts of mothers who have the overwhelming task of raising a family by themselves. Thank you for your promise to be a father to the fatherless. We confess that we do not always demonstrate the long-enduring patience with our own children that you show us. Forgive us when we are too demanding and when we expect too much too soon. Grant patience to those who long for a child. Hear their prayers as you heard the prayers of your servant, Hannah. Let our gentleness be evident to those, to all those who meet us, especially to those who share our home. Let the light of Christ shine in our lives to show our children the way to you. We admit, Lord, that none of us are perfect parents. 
No matter how hard we may try on our own, we rely on you to keep us from sin. We cannot control ourselves without your spirit working in our hearts, renewing us each day. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit, loving one another in obedience to Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.